I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. Today, I've got another of our complete interviews, this time with Klaus Schulze, the iconic German electronic musician. He left the planet last year on April 26, but from 1969 until that date, he released hundreds of albums and shaped a generation of electronic artists, including Steve Roach, Jean-Michel Jarre, Hans Zimmer, and many more. I got to interview Klaus twice, and today I've got the first of two parts from an interview I conducted in 1982 at Klaus's home in then West Germany. Before we get to that, joining us in support of Echoes is Kevin Keller, an artist who's been in Echoes' favor for more than 25 years. With his intimate piano, lush strings, and vast sonic spaces, Kevin Keller has inspired listeners with his ambient chamber music since the mid-1990s. In fact, I first coined the term ambient chamber music in reference to Kevin. So it's kind of full circle that his latest album is also called Ambient Chamber Music. It's a compilation of some of his best works in that chamber mode, and it features performances by cellists Clarice Jensen, Mina Cho, and late and great David Darling. Klaus Schulze was part of the original genesis of Echoes and was voted as one of the 30 icons of Echoes. The albums he recorded in the 1970s and early 80s reside at the core of music experiences for myself and the Central Echoes staff. Albums like Moondawn, Timewind, and X, and more provided the soundtrack for many an imaginary movie during those years. There was something about the pulsing sequencers, freeform, note-bending Moog solos, and spiraling Escher-like architecture that spoke of a world outside of conventional rock or classical music. I remember synthesis Mark Shreve of Redshift describing the 1977 album Mirage as if it had formed out of thin air, untouched by human hands. Klaus Schultz's music had that transcendental power as if it came from somewhere beyond this plane of existence. Briefly, Klaus played drums on the first Tangerine Dream album and formed Ashra Temple with guitarist Manuel Goetsching. Beginning with Ehrlich in 1972, he went on to define the solo synthesis of the 20th century. I talked to Klaus in 1982 for the radio series Totally Wired. Let me set the scene by quoting my cover story on Klaus and Keyboard Magazine, where much of this interview first appeared. Entering Klaus's studio, I felt like I was entering a sanctum sanctorum. Muted lighting illuminated plush, armless couches that encircled a large screen video projector. A 24-track recording console provided a gateway into a cockpit of wires, switches, patch cords, video screens, computer terminals, and keyboard instruments. A tiny EMS suitcase synthesizer hung on the wall like a trophy next to an imposing Moog modular system which loomed over the smaller, fleeter GDS digital synthesizer. Both were still flight-worthy, but evidence of the progress of technology. 
Klaus had recorded 16 albums at the time, his latest being Transfer. His only release in America at that point was his 1977 album, Body Love. I sat on the couch with Klaus across from me, each speaking into a separate Electro Voice 635A microphone. Klaus smoked one cigarette after another. We talked about his career, Tangerine Dream, his work with Stonewall Yamashita's Go, drummer Michael Shreve, and more. The interview went on for about three hours, and this is the first part. I would like to begin with, with how you first got involved with electronic music, electronic instruments, because you played drums first, right? And in fact, you know, I started uh, with guitar because I had the classical guitar training, you know. That, like just picking uh, classical bass stuff, you know. And, uh, but that was when I was seven up to 15, seven years about. And, uh, but then, you know, this kind of teacher, you know, never allowed me to play pop or rock music, you know. And so I said, no, I want, but I wanted to play that, you know. And uh, as far as I had no chance really at this time, you know. With acoustic guitar, really, you can, or classic guitar, you can't play rock, you know. So, and my brother at this time, you know, played kind of free jazz stuff, and he had a drum kit, you know. So I just switched on to drums, you know, and then played that for about maybe 10 years, played drums. And uh, this was quite nice for me. And I, okay, I was never, let's say, kind of a good drummer. I was had a very special drum, drum way of playing a drum, you know. But I think compared now to working after now with Mike Shreve, you know, I mean, I would never say just dare to say I'd played drums before, you know. <laughs> but um, the thing which was very good for me that I got uh, also on the sequence stuff and all that, I got kind of a rhythmical feeling, which is, I think every musician should at least play one or two years drums to get the feeling and the, the physical uh, expression of rhythm, you know. Um, and that helps me a lot, you know, just to compose and to play live and everything, you know, just because you, when you play with a drummer, you know, for me it's never a problem because I know how we will play, you know, and I know exactly when he's really on, you know, because I know, oh, that's like that, I would do it, you know, something like that, you know, and then you just play with it, you know. That's the thing where Mike and me, you know, when we ever did record this transfer or the, uh, the Warnfried stuff, you know, this, it was always done more or less in the first and the second run, the whole pieces, you know, because we, we never re really actually spoke about certain titles or said, let's compose them, you know. We just played them, you know, and it's, the work was just, <clears throat> I mean, it just happened, you know, because we have that understanding, you know. And uh, it's a pity, in fact, because I have some great videotapes when he played drums here on that electric, uh, electronic drum kit in there, you know. Uh, it was a Simmons drums, you know, I mean, you wish you would see him always playing, you know, he's a genius on drums, you know, and, uh, but that was not really the question. <laughs> well, do you think that you, you can get the rhythmic flexibility in, with electronics that you can get with drums? Not really, I don't think, uh, and I really would never try it if I want to have kind of a, kind of a swinging rhythm, you know, I would never try it with a, a drum computer, even if it's, a very sophisticated drum machine, you know. I just uh, ordered one which is custom built, you know, which I don't have yet, you know, but I mean, it gets credible facilities, you know, but it will be never a replace a drummer, you know. It's the same like a synthesizer will never replace a violin or a brass player because that's the human playing, it's totally different. It's, it's always a machine, you know, which is doing it, you know. But as far as you, sometimes you want to have kind 
kind of uh, robot-like rhythms and things like that. I mean, the drum computer is perfect for that, you know. And uh, I normally do it like that because Mike doesn't like really, for example, to play the basic rhythms, you know. And this uh, I let play by uh, the drum computer. And then all the, the kind of the, the spice or thing like that, you know, that's done by Mike, you know, and uh, the percussive stuff, you know, because, I mean, no, never a computer will do that, you know, because it's, it's also expression of the artist to play a drums, you know, and uh, a computer has no expression. And uh, whatever you program into it is repeating somehow. Even if you have, I mean, 2,000 steps, a drummer is not, uh, let's say, programmed to do 2,000 certain pre-calculated drum beats and or syncopations or whatever you call I think syncopation, all that stuff, you know, for computer. You can program them, but they will be always 100% on the beat. And a swing is a bit before or a bit after, you know, and that's, you can't tell a computer, okay, that's your clock, but don't play it, just, just push it a bit, you know. And... Uh, Sometimes you push it, sometimes you don't push it. It depends what music is happening, you know. And all that, I think, that computers will never that, uh, replace this human, uh, human touch of music, you know. I mean, they're a great help and just uh, take away the basic stuff, you know. Like the sequences, you know. Uh, I really can't hear them really anymore, but uh, you still have a basic rhythm patterns, which is great to build on, but you can't leave it with that. You know, so it's always, let's say, like, I mean, if you uh, drive with a car, you know, it's good if the motor is okay, you know, but it doesn't mean that the, that the car drives perfect, but it depends on the driver. You know, it's the same with computers, you know, they, they give you a, per a perfect basic to arrange how, uh, let's say, there's a ground on which you want to build on, but they will never do the rest. You know, even if you can program them to do the rest, it will never be kind of the rest, you know, because otherwise you can just program, I don't know, every symphony in it and it will sound the same, you know. When you, for example, hear an orchestra conducted by two different people like Bernstein and uh, Carl Böhm, for example, and you hear the kind of Beethoven stuff. I mean, it's exactly the same piece, it's the same beat, it's, everything is the same, but it sounds totally different. You suddenly prefer this, uh, this version and not this, you know. It is the same, but there's something different. And that's the thing which is uh, the creativity, which the computer can't uh, replace at all, you know. You said you can't hear sequences anymore. Yes, let's say the normal stuff, you know, because normally they go like, uh, yeah, one, two, three, four, you know, or one, two, three, up to 16 or 32 steps or whatever it is, you know, but. For my kind of uh, view, it's overdone the whole stuff, especially by the uh, so-called new wave electronic, you know, the electro wave or whatever you call it. You know, it's. Um, I mean, they use the most basic sequence stuff anyway, but it's like you go on. I mean, it's in fact the same like you have a, a music or stuff like that now, you know, because sequence got so. Um, let's say. Oh, I wouldn't want to say misused, but so cheaply used or whatever, so effective, overdone, you know, on the surface used, you know, so you go, you dang, 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 and then you hear the metal drums, dang, 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 you know, and then uh, you say, okay, that's, uh, if it goes three minutes very fine, it's, uh, it's a new wave hit or whatever, you know. Uh, I mean, I have nothing against it, you know, because um, I think the new wave electronic, 
was very necessary, necessarily to come into this electronic field, you know. But um, what uh, the thing that they didn't go further on with that, you know, they just stayed on it and now repeating all the time the same, you know. And uh, so it's, you always hear them in a sequence and then if you hear them the first time on TV spots, you know, you just feel a bit, uh, say, a bit, a bit strange to that, you know, because when we started with a sequence of work, you know, it was something different to us, you know. Suddenly you switch on, you hear like a Porsche advertisement, you know, with my music, which I did for them, you know. And uh, here's a sequence, and they said, okay, that changed to advertisement, okay, that should be a reason that I changed and not I changed, not the advertisement, you know. And uh, that's the thing, you know, you hear that too much, you know, and all the disco stuff went to that, you know. And it's just, I don't know. I just don't like it probably anymore. And, uh, so how did you get from drums to the synthesizer? The thing was, you know, when I was playing drums, you know, was, we all just more or less copied the American and English bands, you know, because it was, was a duty to do that, you know, otherwise you would never have a gig or whatever, you know, because you were not allowed, uh, for example, not even to sing German, which now is the biggest hit in uh, here. But before, if you have a German song, you know, just would not even accept you. And if, it, if it's even an own composition, you know, they would say, oh, forget it, you know. So you don't play uh, this thing, play the Stones, the Kings or whatever, you know. And um, somehow you, I had the impression I want to do something else, you know, just something new or what, not not necessarily new, but something else, and uh, which is which is me, and it was not always somebody else. Because the biggest thing which you can get that man, when you played great, it sounds exactly like the Stones. You know, I mean, as for an artist, you know, it's really the worst that you can hear. You know, and uh, things like that. You know, and uh, and I said, as far as I want to do also some kind of very new music, I said, you know, I take an instrument that I never touched before. Because then, if I would have played, for example, guitar, you know, I would always drop back to the phrases which you learned, you know, or if I would have played drums to do new music, I would always play some certain riffs or whatever, the same, you know. So I said, if you play an instrument, which you never did before, you would just jump in very naive, you know. And so I just said, okay. But I didn't want to play an organ because they always sound the same, you know. I only was looking also for a new sound which I already started on drums, you know, I used different metal stuff and all that, I used pickup with echoes and phases and all that. But uh, it still goes to that bang, bang, stuff, you know, you couldn't... And I was always looking to the people who just played the guitar and the sounds it was really in a hall, you know, it was full of sound, you know, and you just bang, finish off, you know. And, um, but at this time, you know, they were not really synthesizers, were not really available, you know. And um, so I just had an organ which a friend uh, gave me, and uh, I just modified it, you know, to open it and had the plug. So all the plugs and the contacts, you said, okay, what happened if I put that to this? And it's always switching them to different points, you know. I mean, okay, there was no harmony anymore. and But when you touch the keyboard, you know, something strange happened, you know. I said, oh, that's a great sound, you know. And that's, for example, the whole electronic, which is on Ehrlich, you know, is kind of a short circuit of an organ, you know, which breaks down, of course, you know, because... <laughs> but uh, it was the first try, you know, just to escape, you know, from that pressure on the one hand to do that Anglo-American music, and the other hand to create something which I could say at least, you know, I, I created that, you know, it was not a copy of anything, you know. 
And uh, that's the reason why I said, okay, and then, of course, the thing is, then the machinery runs, you know, and your, your brain is asking for more, you ask for the technology, the technology is giving you new ideas to go further on, you know, and all oh, this thing is kind of a feedback situation where you never get really out, still you don't get out of it. Now, when the digital area and the computer area starts, you know, suddenly you can do things which you never could do before. And... Um, it's really, it's very amazing. That was a reason. You, uh, could, probably I could have gone to a, a flute or whatever, you know, but at this time, you know, I was very affected by this kind of not describable sounds, you know, because or even a flute, you know, if you play it very perfect and ever, it is a flute, you know, but now at this time, you know, you could play an instrument where you could never say, what is that? What does it mean, though? It, you know, it's just the sound suddenly was standing on itself without a tradition, you know, because it's like you know there were experiments like uh, what they did now. What is, makes a difference between a synthesizer and a real violin? And um, they made experiments. They put a violin player on stage, and behind a curtain, somebody was playing a synthesizer. Everybody said that's a violin. And then they turned it around, they put the violin player behind the curtain and put the synthesizer in front of so everybody said, of course, it's a synthesizer. It was totally the opposite. But so suddenly it came on that the eye already, you know, told the brain, you know, okay, that's a violin because I see it. And it's not only that you, while seeing it, that you hear the violin. The thing is, if you hear a violin, the whole tradition of a violin went through it. The whole kind of memory boards in your brain, you know, suddenly they switch and say, okay, that was done by uh, the Moldau, that was done by Beethoven, that was done by Tchaikovsky and things like that. So the violin is not only trans not anymore transporting a tone, it's more transporting uh, an image of a violin, you know, because it gets so self-efficient already, that instrument, you know, that suddenly you don't hear the tone, you just hear the image of a violin. And then the only thing which makes it different to other things is the melody, but the instrument is just something which you... Uh, which impressed you once in your lifetime very much, so that you always hear the same, in fact. And just the, the melody gives you a different appeal to that instrument. But it, uh, and what I was looking for was for an instrument where you can't tell what it is. That means that you have to listen to the tone without any uh, kind of connection to uh, memories, you know. So, and, and that was the thing with, and this time was the thing with electronic music. I mean, today you can't even play a synthesizer. You already have the tradition of synthesizers, you know. But at this time, when when we started, you know, that was for us a very naive thing, you know. It's like the first time you see daylight or whatever, you know, because there were sounds involved for us, which were which we couldn't describe and we never really w wanted to describe. And we just been new and uh, impressing, you know. And uh, from that, okay, then the whole, that's, uh, that's the only thing which I uh, didn't like really. Then suddenly the whole perfection started and it went up to now. And uh, just for, that's somehow a reason, you know, that for example, I don't like the electronic music, in fact, in the moment, which like, for example, Tangent Dream or uh, Kraftwerk is different because they, I like them all always and they will be good, but or, uh, Jarret or, or Schultz or whatever it is, you know, I don't like it anymore because uh, I think we don't do any new since two years. We're just repeating ourselves, you know. And uh, for me, it's just in a moment a very absolutely breaking situation, you know. And um, the album which comes out 
I don't know, probably in one or two months, and it would be totally different from everything else because I would, I'm really so fed up with the whole thing. What we like this so-called Berlin school, or like Mirka Hönig, or even this guy um, Clara Monshein, or what they're doing. You know, it's always in fact it's the same. Like we did I think if we would be have would have been that consequent, like we have been in '68. We had stopped at uh, about 77, 78, because since since that, nobody of us really created something new. We just perfected what we did before. We do the same stuff. We make more complicated sequences stuff. We do more original string stuff or whatever it is, you know. But in fact, if you look to the music, it's still the same. The sounds somehow always the same, you know. And. Uh, that's the thing, you know, I'm very happy that this kind of what I uh, said before, you know, that the new wave stuff came on because they did really something new from my point of view. Because they started like we started, they didn't care about anything. Like Eno, for example, he said, you know, he said, you know, if I don't want to even hear the, uh, what it is, I don't even want to know that that's A or that's C or whatever, I just want to play it. And I don't care what you tell me that it is. He just did it, you know. Okay, now he's in the same thing suddenly. He gets, via producing the talking heads and all that, he gets already the same perfectionism. But if you go now to kind of the beginning of the Human League or stuff, or these things, you know, suddenly, suddenly new stuff, or like the, the residents, or something like that, how they suddenly go into synthesizers, you know. It's, I mean, they buy synthesizers for $300 and make, from my point of view, in the moment, more interesting music like we do. It's not because it's uh, that we make it more clear or more clean, whatever it is, you know, but you have a totally different attitude to the synthesizers because for them, synthesizers already an existing thing. It's not a thing like that, what they created with. And that's they have a totally different attitude to it, you know. Do you think that's kind of a, a perception of time now? Because you look at, I mean, you're talking about creating something new, but you look at Beethoven's first symphony and Beethoven's ninth symphony, and overall, there's not that much new from the ninth to the first. Right. right. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's perfectly. Yeah, it's, that's okay. Yeah, but uh, I don't want to. I, I don't want to compare myself with Beethoven. <laughs> no, but you know, I don't want to do the same in that case. You know, I want to do more. You know, and uh, I think with a with a new computer, you know, it's possible to do totally different things. You know, I don't want to do anything like I did before. You know, because if you listen, for example, the X album. The X or whatever you call it, I call it ten with the sign. Mm -hmm. And uh, and if you listen to Ricochet, for example, and if you listen to uh, Departure from North and Wesley or whatever, I mean, what happened after these albums? You know, I mean, it was nothing new. And okay, you can say uh, technical perfection is somehow also a development, you know, but I mean. I don't want to sell hardware, you know, I don't want to play software, you know. And I think since a couple of years, at least since four years, you know, we're just uh, progressing the hardware industry, but not a musical feeling, you know. And um, I think there's a reason that there has to be a change in that, you know. Not a change towards uh, like um, Martin Sobotnik doing, or that's, that's from my point of view a bit too heavy, you know, this thing or that. But, I don't know what, but it should be something new, you know, because these instruments now, the new computers give you so much more possibilities that, that you can't say 
For example, oh, you can't do more with analog stuff, you know. Okay, that's somehow done because the sequence stuff. You can make another melody, a line, or whatever, you know. But you cannot go in totally different stuff with that anymore. But with the new computers, you know, uh, there's no excuse anymore. Your brain has to work out new things. You cannot say the technology stopped. You know, technology in a moment for synthesis is much more ahead what the people are doing with it. And even if uh, you hear a lot of uh, which sounds very interesting, it's maybe one-tenth, or not even that, maybe one-hundredth of that what you can do with it. You know, and uh, but nobody's doing it in the moment, you know, and that's the thing which gets a little bit boring, you know. From my point of view, the electronic scene in the moment is very boring. You know, I mean, you're a bit surprised. you look a bit surprised <laughs> that I, I, I mean, I include myself to that as well, you know, but uh, it's that's the thing, you know, it's because if you go around, you know, what I do in the moment, I was in Australia, I heard Australian bands, you know. And then, you know, Caesar was two synthesizers on stage, you know, and which was very roughly, okay. Everybody um, who was there said, oh, Klaus, your album was great, you know. And I said, simply about the music, what they do is better, you know. And they said, they don't understand it, you know, because... If, but if you listen to it really carefully, you know, there's a lot of freshness in it, you know, which we lost definitely, and which is probably... A, Kind of a, I don't know what how to call that in English, you know, kind of a, yeah, kind of a disease, you know, if you do it 10 years, some things, you know. But I think about, uh, there will be something new, but I don't know whether we do it or somebody else, you know. Well, I think it's, it's sort of natural that I mean, when the synthesizers first came out and first began, you know, after the Moog, the Moog stuff started coming out, that, you know, it was, it was obviously very new. Right. To all to all of us, and so obviously there was going to be a freshness just because of the newness. But I mean, the guitar has a tradition. You know, the electric guitar has a tradition of thirty years, and you know, I don't, do you think that that's getting old? And the violin has a tradition of I don't know, a couple hundred years. And it's Indian music has a tradition of you know a thousand or so years. You see what I'm saying? Like, what yeah, I know what you mean. Yes, but I think if you look, for example, you know, but uh, in fact, it's it's the same. Uh, if you think about, like, say, let's say rock music or something like that, I think nothing really happens. Also, there. I mean, especially in the last years, where just in fact, what the, the only development of this music was, in fact, uh, the changing of clothes on the stage. I think, you know, but uh, the music-wise, you know, also nothing new is happening. You know, okay, supper did some new. Hendrix, okay, that was from my point of view the last guitarist which I would talk about uh, creating something new, you know. I mean, Aldi Miola, you know, went in like uh, like an absolute uh, hardware guitarist from my point of view. You know? I mean, he's brilliant, you know. I played with him and you know, I just watching how he's running over his stuff, you know. I said, God damn, you know, but who pays you? I think sometimes I have the feeling that he's paid uh, per note per second, you know, because he's playing so quick, you know. And then, um, uh, I saw that in a rehearsal rooms in uh, on the island studios when we did the first Go album, and Phil Manzanero came in, you know, and uh, I was had set up my electronic equipment and he came in, you know, plugged his guitar into the echo unit, you know, and he played two tones in about a minute, you know, and it was so much more, you know, and it was so nice, you know, and then out came he said, oh what's that? Stop it! You know, took it and I said, come on, please stop it, you know, it makes me nervous, this guy is, you know. 
And um, but this was nothing really new. What uh, what's happening there? And the same thing is uh, like uh, why is classical music so dead? Because they went into a form, from my point of view, which limited themselves so much that they can't go out of that. You know, for them, the only thing is the so-called avant-garde. But that is, from my point of view, is like if a child uh, tries to break out of his uh, kindergarten, you know, it's not really calculated, just get out of it, you know, and then go like in the worst, on the opposite, you know. But in uh, a decent mixture or blend, you know, of both, that would be nice, you know, but never happened. You know, it's, what I found is that, all like Bach, for example, he created a music style, you know, and Beethoven did it, and Mozart. And, uh, but then the style became a music of its own, which was away from the composer suddenly. And you had a kind of a, a case, you know, okay, that's Mozart, the beer was Bach, okay. And then it was dead, because uh, the people put it in such a strong form that it couldn't be, de couldn't be developed by anybody a later. And uh, it's not that this problem, what, what uh, I feel, I don't know whether it's, uh, it's okay or it's right, you know, um, but what I feel is that the same thing happened to us, that we went into certain forms that the only thing is to jump out of it is, in fact, to forget synthesizers and start probably with a flute or whatever. But in the synthesizer thing, we just get into, uh, which is not only our own fault, it's also the, uh, the, probably also the fault of the medias, because they put people always in a certain frame just to talk about them, you know? They have to have a frame, or they, or they think that the people need a frame to understand uh, art. And it's the same thing when painting or with films. We had this kind of, uh, uh, there's Wiener Fantasten painters, you know, that uh, Fuchs and these guys, Eric Brauer and all that. And uh, we have this Picasso style, you know? And uh, we have the same thing on film. We have the French uh, school. We have the, now the German school is very on. And Australian films are very, uh, we'll say, sophisticated films in a moment, you know. And uh, but what happens always? They start fresh, and then the people, if they are strong enough, realize there's a new art form. Put it immediately in a in a very strict shape, and then it's dead. But tell me one music or one art which includes the whole stuff, like a blend, which you say, okay, it's no eclecticism. I just, a new uh, blend who said, okay, that means Bach, Beethoven, that all together, but it's new. There's nothing because it always stops with a form and starts with a new form. I mean, the instruments, it's very easy for them. They go to all this, and because you, with a violin, you play the whole classical stuff. But the thing is, now I'm going to do an album with Gideon Kramer, which is a very known violin player. You know him? It's in the moment seems to be uh, the best in the world, you know. And uh, he's the only guy who makes out of, in the moment, out of a violin, complete new stuff. He just changed the harmonies of Beethoven symphonies and everything. He played just different stuff to it, you know. And uh, suddenly, you know, the people get aware that the violin can do something else. But I mean, it took them, I mean, no, about uh, 600 or 400 years to make the first new appeal to a violin. And suddenly he's the biggest in the world. Everybody's just said, that's a great genius. And there's nobody next to him even. But already now, 
he's put into a shape already that he, he can't play anything else. Because he did the first time that he went on stage and played uh, a Beethoven stuff, and next to it he played uh, Steve Reich. But he made a fade into from Beethoven into a phase for violins, you know. And uh, they stopped him, you know. Gideon Kramer, or Gideon Kramer, or I don't know what you call him. I mean, it's the Russian violinist. I mean, it's really the biggest one in the moment, you know. And he got all prizes you can get, you know. <laughs> it's really amazing. But he's collecting them, and he's, he feels the same like already, you know. I said, I don't know what to do, you know. I said, you know. We had long talks together about that thing, you know, about... We all, he said, you know, as far as you get known, you immediately are your deep frozen food for everybody, you know. And that's really true. And it's from my point of view, that's that's uh, the art, you know. Art was is like, you know, it's, in fact, it's like a human being. You know, you were born, you get fresh, you get all the impulses, and then you die. And then the the guy who was born after you starts also fresh. But he, he never starts where, where you finished. And that's with art the same. You know, you can, uh, you can say art is 100 different blocks, but you never have an art which say, okay, it starts here and finished here. That's a human history. It's always something new, like brackets, like a w big wall, you know. Like Pink Floyd made very perfect. Welcome to the machines. <laughs> so is your something, are you looking for something new? Are you looking for a synthesis of of the past into the into the future or present. In fact, to combine it, but not really like uh, so-called uh, symphonic rock or whatever the people tell it, or electronic versions mm -hmm. of Beethoven or uh, Beethoven, uh, like the Beethoven goes boogaloo or whatever, whatever it is. You know, is it's the kind of a thing to create something which you can tell. That's the feeling of Beethoven or Wagner or Orff. Uh, just comes out in your music, but it's not them. It's something new because you're living in a different uh, time. But uh, suddenly you have a kind of a common feeling, which has nothing to do with names or with compositions, but with feelings. That you transport suddenly a common feeling because one thing, every art has the same. That's a feeling, uh, which you can uh, reduce to that one uh, thing, it's feeling, you know, because the painters, the filmmakers, the photographers, and uh, the plastic people, you know, not the plastic people, I mean the people who make plastics, you know, uh, they just uh, have the same idea, you know, just a different media to express it. And uh, that means there is a common feeling of everything, but I mean, it sounds not very. I mean, it sounds not a very huge idea, whatever it is, you know. Uh, but at least uh, we we should start with something like that, you know, because it's so many things are done, but they're never really finished, you know. They're somehow in the middle, or it's just stop, and it's kind of a deep frozen pictures, you know. That's it. That's a new wave area. That's a rock area. That's a classic area, and that's done. So, uh, but the, the art, in fact, never died and never uh, was never born. In fact, you know, it was just there. Like time, for example, you know, you it's seven o'clock. But if you don't know which day it is, doesn't matter. It's still always seven o'clock, you know. And um, that's the thing, you know, that people just put uh, the art into like a, a weekly schedule, you know, whatever it is, or 
centuries uh, schedule, you know. And uh, that's in fact not the, from my point of view, not the reason and not the aim of art, you know. Well, I always, I always thought that your music, especially, was evocative of of several other things. It always was, you know, evocative of classical music, various classical traditions from Bach to Wagner. Uh, always was evocative of, of even ethnic musics, uh, in Eastern music mm -hmm. in particular. Yes, but it's, uh, it's from my point of view, it just touched the surface, you know, not a real thing yet. And uh, the thing is, you know, do, I mean, we, Somehow we created kind of, I mean, the sequence is kind of, is, is a basic for a mantra. I mean, that, that's, uh, I mean that, that's it, you know. But uh, it's not, you know what I mean? With, uh, but we handled it like, like toys up till now, in fact. And uh, now these instruments get serious. And we, we too. And that means that we meet at a point that we have to create something new with it. Before, the technique was behind us. Or we were behind the technique, but in a moment it looks that we know the technique and we know what we did. And now, we, in fact, now the electronic music should start with that knowledge. It's like like a classical musician who is uh, playing as a violin 20 years, or, and then he starts to compose, for example, the first time. But I mean, we we started with the technique and the composition, and as a musician at the same time. So it means three things. We just start from new off. And uh, it never went to a point that it, that you really say, that's a, that's a work which will survive you. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a temp, it's all still temporary. It's not uh, like beyond time, like Beethoven, you know, it's just, because there was something in, uh, in this kind of music uh, that you feel still, that was was something new, but it was again stopped somehow, you know. And you said, no, why always stop it, you know? And at first we made this kind of a, a new uh, com uh, communication st standard, what we have now with the TV and all its film, video stuff and all that. We are so quick in communication that really, we would have the time to finish such a thing. I mean, for Beethoven it was very hard, you know, I mean, uh, Still, his second composition, everybody knows, you know, he was nearly dead, you know. But if you have a composition today, in six weeks, probably if you make a hit, for example, the world knows it, you know. But at this time, you know, in America, nobody knows Beethoven. But I mean, now they know him, or let's say 50 years ago. But how long the time was that the people know him, that they could follow his ideas? I mean, today it's so quick, you know. For example, if the people don't know you and don't feel what you are, you know, just do a video cassette in the studio, send it over to America. Three days later, you're sitting in his living room, for example, you know. And I mean, this all these communication systems, you know. That's the reason why I have a, a video studio now, you know, just to get all these things together, you know. And uh, it's very similar to what, what Todd Runkin is doing, you know, because I like his idea very much, or Eno's idea, you know, what he did, music for airports. It's suddenly things, you know, which are, from my point of view, that steps toward what I mean. 
You know, do a music for airport, which is reasonable music. You know, you sit in the airport and suddenly you feel something that you're sitting in the airport. International stuff comes together and it's no music, no cheap thing, which kind of like an endless loop. It's something which could be taken like music, but it's not. So you can choose if you take it like background music or if you want to listen to it, you know. And that's a part of it, you know. And uh, whatever they do or whatever we do in the moment, it seems to be like... And we, just before the, the top to hit it, you know, nobody really that did did it, you know. I mean, it's not it has not uh, it's not depending on how much records you sell or uh, how known you are, you know. It's just saying what, uh, in fact, what an artist should uh, uh, demand from himself, and uh, or what you demand yourself from art, and. Uh, I mean, as far as electronic music now gets to a certain, yeah, you're already talking about history of electronic music, you know. That already shows that, you know, what I'm, what I mean exactly. That suddenly there's a history of electronic music, and from my point of view, it had not even really started, you know. But on the other hand, there is one. That's true, you know. But that's not uh, the thing how it should stop like that, you know. But in a moment, from my point of view, the last four years, just to finish that thing, you know, is that we're just running in a cycle, you know, and getting that out of it, you know. Well, before we leap further into the future, just a step back, right. <laughs> take it back a step again. I guess the first was the first experience you had with uh, going beyond imitation, was that with Tangerine Dream? I guess. No, that was before with another band. Cyphery? Yeah, right. Oh, you know that, huh? Uh, and uh, that was uh, while playing with them. Edgar heard me playing, and then he asked me to uh, join Tangent Dream. And it's the very first thing, you know, just was kind of a, uh, just, you know, just beating around, you know, beating everything up, you know, just get away from all the barriers and all that tied up stuff, you know, just uh, was kind of electronic free jazz or whatever you call it. You know? I mean, the drum kit didn't look at like, like it one, you know, and the organ player, you know, just played. Uh, he turned turn the organ around, you know, from, he played it from the other side, just not to see the keys in it. And as a guitar player, was then, he's a, was, was, it's now very famous in the moment, is that Alex Conti guy who played with Lake. It's quite a famous band here. And this guy you know, just it was totally Hendrix. I mean, it was 67, 66, you know, so he was really into it, you know. And these three things uh, together, you know, it was just mad music, you know. But you had the same in America, I mean, much earlier probably, you know. I mean, I think what Grateful Dead did before, or Jefferson Airplane at this time, and it was about the same, you know, to get, get rid of the old barriers, you know. And uh, the same with Hendrix, and you know, he just played something which, he, like, I mean, when he played the American, uh, what do you say, melody, or the oh, Star Spangled Banner. Uh, yes, or what do you call that? The song? National anthem. N yeah, national hymn or whatever you call it. And I mean, uh, on that Woodstock stuff, you know, I would say, God damn, you know, that, that's something, you know. But I mean, that that's things, you know. For example, Hendrix did it for some point of view. Not because he changed totally the sound or the history of guitar, but he did it also music-wise. Because he, I mean, he, for example, he he was a fan of Wagner, for example. You know, in one interview he said, you know, 
This guy, Wagner Strauss, I dig that cat, you know. I mean, that shows, you know, that it's just, I mean... And that's the thing where, for example, the Americans are much more uh, aware or in front of us because they have never had this kind of a stupid tradition we had, you know, because they just did it, you know. And, uh, of course, they had this tradition from their countries where they came from, but they never had kind of a concert hall, you know, where it's not allowed to play, for example, uh, rock music, you know. For me, it was inc incredible when I was in Australia, at uh, in Sydney, in that concert hall. One day there was a huge concert, classical concert, and the next day there was boxing in the same place. I mean, it's amazing, you know. I mean, it's for in Germany, the people would die. I mean, nobody would let even the people in the hall. But then to make the festival of boxing in a Sydney Opera House, you know, I mean, it's... But that shows that they have a much easier connection to that, not so serious. You know what I told you before on the car, you know. This is the thing which I hate, you know, if people take... Uh, they are so serious, you know, that suddenly they, they are not um, the creator of art, suddenly they're the result of their own art, you know. And then they suddenly they say, oh, I, I can't drink and I have to t be always serious, you know. And uh, I have not to uh, behave like, uh, I mean, like a hobo or whatever. And I said, I mean, uh, you should never forget that the, uh, the art is the most human, uh, should be, should be, that's his point, you know, should be the most uh, human activity, what you do, you know, but it's so, it's so framed that you, the first thing which is the worst from my point of view, that if you start art, that you have to be educated as an artist. In that moment, I mean, is they cut off all your, let's say, personal extremes, you know, like, for example, if they say, okay, you have to walk, you know, and uh, if you would not learn it, like, on, the, on yourself somehow, uh, you would sit the whole life, you know, as far as not possible, they would uh, kick you in the ass somehow, you know, said, you walk now, you know. But uh, the nature made like that, that you somehow you start alone wa walking, you know, nobody can treat it or teach it to you to, to walk, you know, because... Uh, I, it's a very sad thing which I saw with my son, you know, he was just uh, creeping around everywhere, you know, and one day he stand up, I mean, his, his face he should have seen, you know. Suddenly he looks at things from from up to down, you know, not like this, you know. And he looked down, you know, and then immediately he sat down again. He was so surprised by himself, you know, and I never pushed him to walk or something like that, you know. And then again he stands up and he makes the first steps, you know. I mean, if I saw that, you know, it was so impressing, you know, I said, you know, that is like a human being should express everything. But uh, when we, in fact, start to write our first poems or whatever it is, we learned already the language. And the language is already a frame, you know. I mean, uh, James Joyce did one good thing, you know, he just made, he just, <laughs> I mean, he wrote things which are not translatable. But because he used certain other things, but uh, it's very few genius who get rid of the tradition, you know, out of the education, you know. And it's the same what Gideon Kramer said to me, he said, Klaus, you were so lucky that you play a keyboard and you, nobody told you what a keyboard is before. He said, 
That's the reason, but uh, you know that uh, he likes uh, my conversation. He said that's the biggest what he ever heard in the 20th century. And I can give you a written thing, you know, and I, I want to tell it uh, how big I am or whatever, because this guy I really admire a lot, you know. And he said, but it's, for you, it's no work. For you, just you do it, you know. But for me, I mean, I know that I'm not a good keyboard player, you know, but uh, he said, you are so free, because, but if I play the violin, you know, and I want to play a tone, I just suddenly the finger is there. I didn't want to have it there, a bit less, but it was educated like that. And he said he played with a lot of very famous uh, piano players, you know. And he said that sometimes the hands are already grown like that to play like this, you know. And uh, from my point of view, I just play like this sometimes, you know. If I play the melody on that side and I need a bass line, you know, I just can't switch so quick over to that. Should I play with that hand the bass line, you know? And so suddenly he said, it's the whole style changed, you know, because it's not possible to do that, in fact, you know. And uh, I think that's the biggest disadvantage, that you, when you are, start to create something that you already created by your surrounding before. So it's, it's, but it was also not a question you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the thing on uh, my point of view, which is, uh, which uh, on that interview is because it's probably because I'm not really listening so much or not going straight to that question is because uh, it's not that I uh, don't respect you, you know, but we're thinking from my point of view that this is in fact in a, in a moment the most important question of art. It's not going with whether I started or what I did or what I get the prizes for or what I did or something. It's just what is art for some point of view, you know, which it starts, you know, and that I think it's probably also what the people suddenly could really understand suddenly is because they will never understand these knobs and the lights are going around because and it's a half nut from my point of view. And they never, I mean, it's the same thing. Nobody asks ever a piano player um, how this uh, piano was built, you know. You just listen to it and say, okay, that's a piano, fine, you know. And that's, that's enough to do that, you know. Or you would never ask uh, Beethoven uh, if you meet him, you know, or say, uh, why did you did, uh, do, use this violin or that, you know, or that whatever, you know. He's just, it would probably say to you, it doesn't matter, you know, it's just a nice melody, you know, whatever it is, you know. And uh, it's a basic problem, I think, of art, uh, which is in a moment very interesting because from my point of view, it's going very bizarre in the moment with art, you know, because we had all that kind of structured and then it came this kind of free art, like the, all that happening, seeing avant-garde stuff, you know. And the moment it looks like it goes all backwards. And I think in 10 years, we really, I think the, the best new wave band plays probably Mozart or Strauss. You know, and uh, but there's something else which should go forward, you know. And everything is turning in a cycle. It's the same like politics. We do the same again, you know. We just going again to a, a third world war. We know everything. We do exactly the same like before. We know that, uh, for example, unemployment creates a kind of Hitler societies and everything, and exactly the same we do, you know. It seems to be that we never learn out of anything something. You know, we do always the same mistakes, you know. Okay, uh, it's, it's a bad luck that you mostly do this kind of mistakes you only do once <laughs> a lifetime because you probably have no chance to do it twice, but the other people who come later do exactly the same, you know.
And uh, whenever you, you uh, go with art in the same, which is the same process and everything, you can split it to economics or to to arts or to, I mean, whatever else is existing, you know. And uh, there, there should be somewhere a way out of that system, you know. And uh, that's the thing which in America, in fact, is a lot of people, I get uh, letters from American people, you know, who really started just to get away from it, you know, like, it's also that we call them in German, the people Aussteiger, I don't know what I call it really, it means people who drops, you know, they're very successful, and they just leave everything, say goodbye, I don't want to share that system anymore, and they go to Australia, or even here they live outside and make alternative kind of farming places, you know, with no poison stuff and everything, you know. I mean, it's, that's a sign, you know, but it's no, uh, it's no uh, kind of resolution of it, you know, because uh, if you go away from a problem, you don't solve it, you know. And uh, but then I think that's an interesting point from my point of view, which uh, art could, in the moment, as far medias are in the moment, uh, I think the most manipulating system uh, that art can create suddenly that thing to get away from that whole re repeating things, you know? Because if you look now, if you look at the home video stuff, or what America has a lot, this cable TV station, you know, what we don't have here because it's not yet allowed, but hopefully they will start once with it. But uh, suddenly the people get so much new things to know, which before couldn't come over, you know? And, uh, and before art was kind of just more or less kind to soothe the people, you know, to say, okay, as worse the time gets, as more entertainment they get, you know, and the more decadent entertainment, you know. And suddenly art became to a point that you can say that could be really important, even like politics. But suddenly there's a big gap. There's no art who could do it in the moment, you know, except you have this kind of political art. But I mean, that's not that what could change it, you know. I mean, that's the point of what you said before with that Indian music. That was always political music or religious music, which is politics. So that's the point that this music has a totally different, um, say, position, like in Europe or America. And in the others, there was more always entertainment. If you think that, for example, the European classic music was the dance music, the disco music for the kings. I mean, Handel and Beethoven, they, they got uh, the kind of, somebody, some king, you know, wrote him a letter, I give a party on a, uh, on a New Year's Eve, like the Wasser music from Handel, so please write me a good piece for that evening. He wrote it, and he gave it to the orchestra, and like a disco band, the orchestra played it, and after that he said, thank you very much, here's the money, and go. You know, and uh, all the people did that at this time. It was actually kind of... Uh, yeah, disco music for uh, for these people, you know. And it was always entertainment, but in the Indian, when the raga stuff and all this kind of music, it is, uh, it's totally has nothing to do with that music, how we think music is, you know. And that's the reason why this kind of music you can't learn, really. You know, because if you grow up there and you get the feeling, that means the, the social part, you know, and you get also the religious idea and the politics situation and everything, um, and you have to learn the instrument, but you'll always learn it. I don't know how you know whether how uh, Indian musicians are trained. They're not trained like here. You play now the raga of this guy or this guy. I said you learn the instrument, and you have to play me this in 
10 weeks. And then he said, okay, now you can play the instrument. And now you rehearse 20 years. And now you, then you start playing for people, but not before. You know, and the Zeta player, I mean, whenever you see a Zeta player who said, I'm a Zeta player, he's definitely about 10 or 20 years only involved with his instrument, and he puts everything into it. But then he expresses everything with it, you know. But, and not for entertainment, because there the people just take the music also different. Because for the Indian people, the music is also not entertaining. It's like the native music in Africa or something like that. It's kind of a sport and spiritual thing, thing you know. And it's not like uh, just, okay, you did a good composition, great evening, how are you doing? You know? I mean, that's the thing, okay. That, that, and sometimes musicians change the attitude and the politics of, uh, of certain uh, tribes, like they did in Africa, you know. And when the new music came, suddenly the politics of, uh, of the things changed, you know. And uh, I mean, here you can play disco, I mean, you don't change uh, uh, the Labour Party or whatever, you know. They don't care as long as you pay your tax, you know. Uh, but that's, that's a totally different attitude. But that's, this kind of attitude should go into art also in European and Western thinking, you know. What, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> well, getting back to the early days yeah, right once again, because, because at that time, with Tangerine Dream and then Ashra Temple, before you were playing uh, electronics and keyboards, when you were just playing drums, you're still going for sounds and forms that were, that were different and that, than yeah. what had gone before. Right. I did that, but uh, I tried, you know, just to, to modify the instrument and to modify the, the playing. But uh, it, it, it didn't come to a point where I said, okay, that's the thing where I want to stick to for the next 10 years or whatever, because I saw a future in it, you know. Um, but at this time, I mean, everybody in the world was looking for something new somehow, you know. And, uh, but what uh, makes the difference to us was uh, that we wanted to get away from that, what everybody told us all the time. I mean, the Americans and the English still today do have a... No, no, I don't want to say the pop, because it sounds something uh, that you say it's not really good or whatever, but they have some kind of a tradition of this kind of music they did actually you know like the American rock and roll has 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 somewhere has roots but, but German rock and roll has no roots because I mean okay Bach played from my point of view kind of uh, minimum music somehow but uh, it was not a tradition for rock music you know and uh, it's the first time that the German has uh, now what they do now is uh, that they create a music or they play a music which has a root in Germany. But we didn't have anything like that before. So what should we do? I mean, it's the only thing that, okay, let's have an American tradition then and play German music, you know, with German thinking, German education. And uh, so what that came off was also a very difficult situation uh, to create something new with a totally yeah, foreign background, you know, not like you have or the English have, you know, this kind of yeah, I mean, where does the English have the, the background from? I don't even know it anymore. What they have for the roots in that? I mean, for me, uh, the the roots are the Beatles, you know. But they have to have it also somewhere from, and that's probably was also rock and roll American and rock and rhythm and blues, blues, you know. 
And, uh, but as far as they, they think that America still has a colony, so probably they think, you know, that Americans copying the English, you never know that, you know. Uh, but for them it was much easier somehow to do something because they had the background and they heard on the street, on the corners, they heard this kind of music, you know. It was so surprising for me when I went, first time was, I think, 63, when I went to America. And uh, I was in, in Washington, there was a, a black area where the people just with a mouth organ and a guitar was standing on the corner playing music. I said, God damn, they're great. I play such a good music, you know. And, uh, it was first time that some musician which has no record contract and was haven't seen in the TV, you know, just they're standing around playing this kind of music, you know. And uh, apart from that, in Germany, never it was like that, except you have this kind of a solo entertainer who make like uh, brass music, like marsh music or whatever, you know. But uh, you never have really something where you can tell, Oh God, I mean, that's very good and that's really German, you know, is it because German music is in a concert hall. Never on streets or on fields or wherever. It was always somewhere traditional there or there, you know. And uh, and when we tried actually to find something new, it was of course we went totally over the top. I mean, if you hear just electronic meditation, I mean, it's kind of it's really I mean it's totally over the top, you know. I mean it's a very from my point of view very kind of a historical or hysterical. It's both of it the same as this case. Uh, a record, you know, because that shows the same thing like the first Amandul stuff, what they did, all the same, the first Soul albums, you know, Soul Caravan, and this time they were called still. And, um, but it was kind of, you're just getting away from everything which doesn't belong anyway to us. You know, it's not like you, you, be, uh, you want to get away from American tradition, we, get, we, we, want, we did the same, you know, but we were not Americans, you know. So that was a very, uh, schizophrenic situation, you know. You got away from something which you never was your own, and the other time you created something which was really your own, but no, nobody, nobody didn't want to hear it. Because they said, what's that, you know? And you should hear what the people said in the radio station when they heard the first albums of us, you know. They said, oh, God. That was the first time they said they checked the uh, turntable because it was, they thought it was broken or something like that, because it was always repeating it, you know. And, uh, the other thing said, you know, they just looked around the place, you know, never try to look in your face because they just thought, you know, oh, if I look at him, probably, oh, no, no, please not. Maybe he'll see something, you know, it's a totally idiots, you know. And, uh, okay, which is quite normal with avant-garde stuff in general, you know, but for, for us here was such a big break, you know, that they just said, you know, and most of the people who, who started at this time to make this new stuff, they stopped somewhere after two or three years, you know. I mean, if you look now, who really survived more or less, if you can call it surviving, is, I mean, it's Tangerine, it's Kraftwerk, Can a bit, but Can is also more or less split already, you know, they have different bands, you know, like now Phantom Band and... Uh, uh, the Schmidt guy is playing alone. Holger Chukai makes a solo album, which is the best music since Canada ever should done, you know. Yeah. Because, I mean, that movie album is great, you know. It's really, that's really also something, you know, uh, which I really like very much. And, um, yeah, even Ashra is not existing. Uh, I mean, Manuel is there, you know, but for Ashra, he said, I'd, I call some friends. And uh, in, in fact, uh, when he really is behind his music, you know, it's Manuel Götzing and not Asher anymore. 
And uh, okay, I'm lucky enough that I can't split, you know, because I'm not a band, you know. I said the rest is off, you know. I'm a duel, it's not existing anymore. The can and uh, Soul 69 or this Checkpoint Charlie bands and all that thing, that area, and they all like, which I like very much was Gila or Gila or Jaila, what you said. It was very much hard at Warren and Neil that uh, conified a band, you know, it was great, you know. A Purple Vu is still existing, that's the one other band, yeah, right. Uh, but in fact, it's, yeah, it's only Florian, but uh, but he never had this kind of a tight group, you know, he always changed, but still he's with uh, Daniel together, you know, and somehow, sometimes Renata, on the last album which I produced with him, on, I, I see it was Renata again with him from Amandul, you know, but it was for a long time the first time that the old people came together, you know. Connie was in jail for this, in the, at this time, otherwise he would have played. And for the next one, he did the Fisterallo soundtrack, which he used a lot of the latest album, which I did with him. But uh, on this was Connie Fight again with him, because that was a false member of that, you know. So I think the last album, which uh, comes out, the next one, which will come out, let's say, like that, you know, will be original than the proper Wu again, you know. But just by accident, because he never tries to reform a group or whatever. It's just the thing that he said, oh, good enough that he's not in jail anymore, so I can play, he can play again for me, you know. Uh, but the rest is all disappeared, you know. But a lot of other bands, like Agitation Free, for example, or a lot of bands which I forgot already, you know. They just disappeared. I mean, if you think... How many bands in England or America survived from uh, 1970? I mean, they're mostly still in the charts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and in Germany, I mean, just they all disappeared, you know. That's strange enough. <laughs> um, what was the first synthesizer that you heard? What I heard? I don't know then. What was your first contact with it then? Wait, I mean, who had the first time the one? It was in a studio in Falsburger Straße with that guy, Thomas Kessler, who made it, who uh, told us everything about it, or he tried at least, you know, because we didn't understand it at all. He, he had a kind of a, a board where he painted all the stuff on oscillator VCS. He said, what was that, VCF, what that? What does that mean, you know? And, um, but uh, I think it was the EMS one. Which I have still, that's my first thing that was still on the wall, you know, like a picture. I will frame it once, you know, put it in plastic, you know. And I also kept my first tape recorder, you know. You would see that as it looks, it was totally more crashed, you know. But that was the thing which I made the earliest album with, you know. So I will never give that away, you know. I just keep it, somehow we'll put it in a huge plastic box, you know. Said a, said technology revival or whatever. And, um, I think it was the AMS stuff. I think it was in Europe also the the first uh, synthesizer because it was in England made and it was not so far away and there was a distributor in Berlin, you know. But all the MOOC stuff came much later and, you know, ARP was uh, even a couple of years later, you know. But there's a big companies always came in with the hardware stuff and always a certain demand was there, you know. But uh, I think it was the AMS one, yeah. You touched on this a bit earlier, but... I'd like to get into it a little bit more. Um, when you started playing synthesizer, did you, you see this as a way of, of breaking with the traditions, like a further way of, of breaking with traditions that preceded you? Yes, because 
because uh, there were two things. The first thing that you could uh, change the scale of the, this is the chromatic of the keyboard, so that you were not fixed to that normal keyboard thing, you know, half tone steps singing. And the other thing was that you could uh, create sounds which has no, okay, uh, say, what, what do you say that to that in fact? If you think immediately of something else, if you hear something, uh, not connection, uh, or re reminiscence, or something like uh, I don't know really, but... Anyway, it's like you, you, if you hear something like that, you, like I told you before with that violin stuff, you immediately think of uh, somebody who played it and we were really impressed with it, or you think of the instrument itself or something like that, you know. And, uh, because then I thought, you know, when, when you play such an instrument that the people suddenly has to listen to the music and only to the music because there's nothing else. There's no, no history or no, no remembering where I said, oh, I heard that with my girlfriend when I was there. I got to know her the first time I fall in love with her, you know, which is also very important for music tunes and also for uh, certain instruments, you know. And uh, suddenly the, the people which should be confrontated with music which they never had a basic understanding of, you know. And uh, of course, uh, Music Concrete was existing since 15 years already, you know. But it was different, you know. They were still cutting their tapes, you know, and running forwards and back with different speeds, you know. And, and But uh, this purely electronic you know, music, you know, was not really existing for, let's say, for the main audience, you know, probably for some specialist people that knew, probably kind of this microphone or stuff like that, which was before. But uh, they, they had no really uh, connection to this music, you know. And so I think, from my point of view, it was the, the best thing that you just bring over something new and you have two good points, these two good points that, uh, that you have. And also, you're not limited by yourself because as far you didn't know it yourself. So uh, you also could handle very freely with the tones and, you know, because there was nothing in your brain which, uh, which were educated like that, oh, that's a tone which you shouldn't use or which is not allowed or whatever because there was no rules for that, you know. So it was kind of thing which uh, was very helpful, you know, to do something new. When I listen to Ehrlich and Cyborg, and I look at the credits, and they say that there's an orchestra, quite honestly, I cannot hear an orchestra. You can't? No. Oh, you even hear well, the well, voice of the on, on the other hand, on 10, yeah. you claim that there isn't an orchestra, that everything was synthesized, and I hear strings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, it, I didn't say that anything, everything is a, uh, is synthesizers. I just didn't, uh, it, it's mentioned, it's uh, on the film, it's a soundtrack, you know. But uh, the only thing which I, well, I didn't mention it, because the only thing where they played actually is a, the fugue part on that uh, Ludwig. It's a quadral fugue, you know. And uh, if I would have written on orchestra, they would probably think that Heinrich von Kleist or Friedemann Bach is also orchestra, which is really synthesizer. And that they said, okay, I better leave it away so that people just put everything to it because I was so proud to find that good strings on the polymorph, you know. And when I said now it's orchestra, they said, okay, what did he play on the album, in fact, you know? 
he just composed it all. He played on the, probably on the Nietzsche stuff and charcoal a bit, you know. But uh, no, but if you listen very carefully to that early stuff, you hear the words of the conductor. Because, I mean, can you imagine, man, this guy was so stupid at this time. I t told him, I record him, and he was, like, in a rehearsal telling the guy, and now you start with that, you know. And I said, uh, stop it, it's with your voices on the recording, you know. I said, yeah, but we have no time to do it again, so I have to use it with a voice, you know. And that's the voice which is on early, so you can't listen to it, you try to listen to it. And... Uh, it was only done if you made it. it was done with a microphone from a cassette recorder from a Philips cassette with this black plastic small one. And as a preamplifier for this microphone input, I used the uh, small echo unit, but no echo. And then it went into the, my record uh, player, which was uh, no a uh, tape, uh, which was very cheap one, which is in there, telephone one, you know, and. Uh, Okay, it gets so much modified that definitely you can't hear the, in, uh, the difference between a cello and a violin because the cello was, it didn't sound different. The bass, uh, the microphone couldn't handle, you know. But it's definitely orchestra from the uh, free university there, you know. But what you can hear is the conductor's voice, and you should listen to that. <laughs> I really. And I said, I, I don't remember actually what he said. He said, Something like in German, and now you play A or something like that. He was counting for them, you know. And I was really shocked. He said, God, no, well, you cannot talk like that, you know. And the microphone, you know, was just taking everything in the room, you know. And uh, when I, uh, I tried it, because I had no money to pay the orchestra, you know, I said, okay, just play that, you know. And they said, okay, but now we have to leave because we have to rehearse for a concert next day or whatever. And it was for 10 people to concert, you know, but it was so important for him that he didn't care, you know. And so I have to use that, including the voice, you know, I said, okay, why not? I mean, it's just kind of, uh, if you go towards, uh, uh, to this step, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter really, so suddenly the conductor is talking in the middle, you know. So I just said, okay, leave it on then, you know. <laughs> at, at that time, you seemed to be very into uh, what might be called drone music. Right. Very textural, seemed to be getting inside the notes. Which is, which is a reaction of that, playing the, the, the kind of tune stuff before. And I always would play the songs, you know, three-minute parts, doing the same break like uh, the drummer from the Stones did or what the King's drummers did, you know. And suddenly said, no, I don't want to do anything. That's also a reason when on the first album there's no drums. Because I said, no, please, no drums on my albums. I played it for so long time, I don't want to hear it anymore. And if I now do an album, which I can do everything on my own, you know. I would never play the drums on it, you know. And the first thing, actually, where I started doing it again, you know, was as it was on Black Dance, I think, you know. It was the first time where I said, okay, but I did not even dare to play the whole drum, because I just played more percussive things, you know. And I had this kind of rhythm machine behind that, you know. But uh, I still was really at a kind of a distorted connection to drums, you know, at this time, you know. But that was a total reaction of this thing, exactly the kind of, the, no, that not at all, you know. And that's also the thing when I said, if you get free from something, you go a bit over the top, because I think a good drum playing, like, in fact, where I did it the first time really into it was on Moon Dawn, where the drums really get part of the music. I mean, but it took me about six records, you know, to get back to to involve the drums in my music without having the feeling that it's destroying or disturbing it, you know. But that's the thing, that suddenly you get 
back again said okay the drums you know is not a bad instrument only because you played it you know before and you didn't like what you played with the drums you know and that's the same thing that uh, with the music in general you know and for example now uh, when i play live what for example what you heard on the last uh, video stuff you know was it sounds a bit funky really you know because i would say oh, klaus you can never feel funky you know you do just more music uh, floating or music planant or whatever but suddenly you get so so open because he did all these things and it is said why not to play uh, a good temptation song and still have your own impression with it you know but before if somebody would tell me that i tried to do a bit funky style and they would say oh, i was joking i don't i don't i want to blame myself you know oh and would you stop it for a second are you at a point now where like no one asks you anything new anymore i mean you, you do lots of interviews are you at a point now where you've been doing these things for like 10 or 12 years i saw i no saw one. i mean like this yeah uh no it's a different thing you know because it uh, changes suddenly to a point where you uh, different, uh, very different people suddenly uh, make interviews with with my with myself, yeah. Because before, you know, everybody, or let's say hardly nobody came, and then everybody came, like all the newspapers and the, the really beaut uh, beautiful people like that. But they didn't know anything what is going around. You know, they're asking the question. You know, they just say, "What you should answer to that?" I mean, if you just put this question. Uh, the first thing is you ask, you explain in ten weeks what you did the last two years or five years, or you just say the same stupid answer, you know, just a very basic answer, you know, not to just to make him uh, confused or whatever. Uh, but now it's so that the people know more about this music, and uh, the interviews through that gets really interesting suddenly because suddenly you can tell what you exactly want to tell, you know. You, for example, can tell now uh, to people, you know, I like this, for example, this thing of what the VCF did, or for example, and they know what it means. But if you, for three or four years ago, you told anybody something like that, you said VCF, what that mean that, you know, and then they printed on VCS or VTB or whatever, you know, they even printed it right, you know, synthesized the road with SI, you know, whatever. You know. But now, and that makes it a point where you still get interested to talk, but what the people still ask is always, what, in fact, what you do also <laughs> is the very uh, beginning, which is, uh, which is important, in fact, you know, because you have to uh, set up <coughs> a statement, you know, you just kind of, for example, if you would have finished with the beginning, I said all the electronic music which is done up to now is not really boring, and then you say, thank you very much, you know, everybody would say, what? <laughs> so, of course, you have to go from the beginning and to that point and say, why is saying that, for example, you know? But uh, it gets more and more interesting now and more because probably because uh, much more people are involved on one hand, on the other thing, that's the information about electronic music, which a few people in the, uh, in the very beginning spread over and now start working, you know, and I mean, I don't know really what's, what the reason, in fact, what the reason is of an interview in a moment, you know, it's just, I think, 
to to get in touch with. In fact, in the moment, it's more interesting to get in touch with the people who interview instead. Before it was, you use the interview to get in touch with the audience. But in the moment, you know, it's uh, mostly more interesting to get the interview to know because that's the people who talk about more different things, you know, like uh, you say, you know, yes, how many records are great, you know, how many people in the concert you do a tour, you're fantastic, or things like that, you know. It's not so interesting anymore, but it's another thing become interesting, you know. Okay, well, a few more early, early questions and then we'll move on. Um, I'd be really interested in knowing what it was like around the time when you were with Ashra Temple and you were doing things such as uh, Cosmic Jokers, <laughs> Galactic Supermarket. <laughs> and I'm especially interested in knowing what the consciousness was at that time. Uh, the basic thing of the Cosmic Jokers was uh, LSD. That's the whole basic of the compositions. <laughs> because uh, this was a big influence of Tim, Timothy Leary, and um, also at this time of the producer guy, who uh, was also totally influenced by Tim. And uh, the feeling was just like, I think it's the same hippie time that we had in America, it's just doing something nice, you know, and enjoy it. and. Uh, Okay, there was a guy who just put it on tapes, you know, and sold it later on. But it was quite nice because we got some money from it, you know. And uh, it was always very nice if you go in a record shop and you saw an album where you played on, you know, it makes you very proud. And, and, but it was more just only, um, I would say, like, just fun, you know. We, did, we didn't take it really serious, you know, because we say, oh, well, who cares about it anyway? I mean, you know, so we sold, over, let's say, 300 records, you know, said, okay, uh, what does it mean, you know? So whatever what you do is anyway private, you know? And so suddenly you get really uh, albums or recordings there, which are awful, terrible, I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> oh, God, you know, I said, if I could, could just put them away, you know? And now this guy, this idiot, you know, brings them all out again, you know? Oh, I said, God, no, please not, you know. I mean, I forbade him to bring out anything where my name was involved, but as far as I was not playing Always Alone, I can't forbid it, so they just they come out, all the album would come out now and for very expensive money, you know. But uh, that was kind of, uh, this was a funny feeling, you know. You had a trip, you know, and then on some albums I played bass, you know, I never touched a synthesizer, you know, and... Because it just, you know, was standing for five hours as a bass or as a vava pedal. I said, was great, you know, you know, they like on the trip, you know, I said, great, you know. And next uh, day, they said, okay, we just mix it, you know. I was playing bass on the whole thing. I said, I was really joking to record that, you know. I said, it was great, you know. I said, you think so? Okay, <laughs> leave it, you know. Or I make a, a piano solo on a, on a flugel, what is that, you know, the big ones, you know. The, it's not a, the uprights and then like kind a grand piano. Yeah, grand piano, right? And uh, with Peter Bauman and me with four hands, and we played something. <laughs> and it just and uh, it was about a three-hour piece. You know, <laughs> you know that the time delay is a bit different. <laughs> and it just, and uh, but that was not yet out, you know. But the tapes are still existing. There, probably the ones coming out, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, you know. But, uh, it was just kind of totally enjoying everything and just playing it freely away, you know, and just not caring about, let's say, uh, he played an A and I played an F. I said, okay, it doesn't matter now. Okay, I'll leave it, you know. 
and not talking about anything, just playing it like that. It's like the San Francisco bands all day, you know, they just went on stage and played for three hours, you know. Of course, there were a lot of bands playing different tunes at the same time, you know, but who cares about the people enjoyed it, you know. It was exactly that feeling. One thing that, that I think really distinguished the German scene from the American scene. So it was Coca-Cola opening in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> was um, the German scene very much got into the whole space consciousness. And yeah, Werner von Braun is back in town. <laughs> <laughs> was the American scene never really got into that that sort of thing? For us, Americans are the space people. <laughs> for us, not, but uh, I mean, that's, let's say that's a cosmic uh, thing, you know was not really our idea. It was put by that promoter guy and the recording guy, you know, he said, oh, that's cosmic music, you know. But uh, he didn't really mean it was cosmic, like uh, the moon or Venus or what, he more thought of his thinking of uh, Timmy's Delirious cosmic ideas and all that, getting all the ideas together, you know. But then it turns out, then came those spacecraft like side shift, a time ship, you know, and all that stuff came out. It totally went to space, you know. But that was because uh, the, the NASA was very important, you know. We saw the rockets starting, you know. So, God damn, they go to the moon now, and America on the moon, you know. So, I had space, you know. And it was for us uh, absolutely imagination of freedom, you know, and everything, you know. But uh, I think still the whole. Uh, ideas and the hippie stuff came just from that Woodstock uh, area stuff, you know, in this, uh, San Francisco, just just the San Francisco nights and all that thing, you know, which is the feeling, you know, I mean, we have not that weather here, you know, <laughs> that's, also, that's definitely also the difference in between that because the sunny weather that makes American hippie music so light and the German hippie music, which is the same feeling, but a, a bit more depressive and heavy, which is just the difference of the weather also, which is also very important, for example, you know. But the ideas in fact was exactly the same, and the, the connection to space would, uh, was more or less taken by the medias later on. We were not thinking of spacecraft when we play, or, or of space shuttles, you know, when we uh, made this music. You know, we just were thinking of okay, we felt like in space on a trip, of course, you know, but it was not so real, you know, what you mean with that. No. And for us, I never really felt that we are really on, on a space trip. I mean, it, in, a, in a real thing, you know, because it's more, it was kind of a, yeah, a dope ship or whatever you call it. You know? <laughs> but in many regards now, especially more and more so, the the instruments that you're playing are kind of a result of, of right. space age technology. But everything, I mean, even if you're uh, in the kitchen, you know, and you have the new yeah, part where you cook your soup in, you know, and you make it in three seconds a chicken or whatever, or microwave stuff, you know. It's all NASA stuff. It's it's in all things in, you know, like all these lenses to project the pictures, you know. Before, it's always a lot of things, also from war technology, you know, a lot of things come over, you know. But uh, that looks already very futuristic with that, you know, terminals and a screen, you know, and you have data that, and that's like on the airport, and if you book a plane, you know, you see the same thing, and they're using the same thing, you know. But uh, it, is, it has really nothing to do that you have a feeling like this, but um, you get this kind of uh, futuristic image, of course. I mean, it's still, like you said before, a guitar has a big image, you know, a violin, and you see you, with, you stand with a guitar on, on stage, and um, 
like Hawkwind. I mean, they made really kind of spacey music, but it was still always a rock band somehow because they had this setting. But if you play, for example, a waltz and you go with computers on stage, it's, it's a cosmic waltz or something like that because the image puts you into it, you know. And uh, that's the thing, you know. But, uh, the only thing is that this technology allows you even to do these sounds. It's also the same stupid thing uh, which programs us already somehow is if you see a thing like which is kind of weird, like say underwater films or space films, there's electronic music. Because the people also from the other side think electronic music must be out from space, it can't be from the earth and under the water where there's also no sound really for them. There's a lot of sounds, but for them it's totally silence. There must be then also electronic music because it can't be a violin underwater, you know. But anyway, there was a, a in a, you know that uh, Guinness record as a violin player who played underwater uh, a piece of Beethoven. It's uh, one of the records that he made. So also violin could be underwater. But in general they think this this kind of music is there and this is space and that is also weird scenes and on the countryside it's mostly it's wish you were here you know in the tv thing it was the best music where put behind everything nearly you know because it's a medium thing you know it's kind of this kind of uh, sustained sound you know and then suddenly the guitar it sounds earthy you know so if you really look to the images and then you understand what the people oh, i don't know this word no what is Immediately, if you think to something, connecting to something. Ah. I don't know. If I would know that word, it would go it's more straight what I mean. But they, so, before they have an image of something, you know, and they, immediately they put the same thing to it, you know. So uh, there's category like space, electronic, which they, let's say on the countryside there's folk music, and that's like this, you know. And so that's, the Im so that's the image turns around suddenly and they say, okay, electronic music is space music. It's become because of, uh, people used it before to, ex uh, to explain the different uh, level or the different situation of space, to, to take that music. You know? But I think nobody of us really thought of, of spacecraft or science fiction in any case when we did this kind of music. For I mean, it was a science fiction of our minds of freedom, if you think like that, you know. And in fact, but uh, it's not really so much tight connected like you think. Or maybe uh, either Manuel or Edgar or somebody, they felt it like that, but I never really felt it from my point of view. The first of a two-part interview with Klaus Schulte that I recorded back in 1982 for the radio series Totally Wired. Much of it also appeared in Keyboard Magazine on one of my cover stories for them. I will have the second part for you next week, and I will have a link to 10 essential Klaus Schulze albums in the posting for this podcast. I'm John DiLiberto. This has been the Echoes Podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight, on the radio somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online right now or whenever you want.